Welcome once again to No Apologies with the Bible Idiots. We are Chris and Emily, and today is Wednesday. That's our long-form teaching day of the week. Now, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, we'll be bringing you the Chris and Emily show with, you know, devotions in motion, laughing louder, digging deeper, living larger. But every Wednesday, it is our long-form teaching. Today, Pastor Chris is going to be bringing us part three of his message series, Pushing to be Elite. He's going to take us to the book of Romans, also to the book of Matthew. Hope you're encouraged and hope you grow deeper in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is Chris with Pushing to be Elite. Well, it's exciting to me uh, to be able to finish off this Elite Series today, and uh, today is called Pushing to Be Elite. This is part three. Let's just kind of take a minute as we get going and review where we've been. Weeks ago, four weeks ago, three weeks ago, we did part one, and that was called The Passion to Be Elite. And if you remember, if you were here uh, we played the little video of City Slickers with Curly the Cowboy telling Billy Crystal's character that life revolves around one thing, just that one thing. I remember talking to you guys about the fact that when you find that one thing, which for us who've been saved by Jesus Christ, it is him and his glory, that whatever it is in life, if you want to be elite, you usually focus on one thing, and that's your passion. And when you have that passion, you will start to do things that you never did before. And I gave you the example about Tiger Woods, how he'd practice his swing six hours a day as a kid growing up because he wanted to be elite. If you want to be elite in anything, you have to have that passion. Then we turn to purpose. Because when you mix passion and purpose together, that's when you really find that you can be elite. Using a sports analogy, it's usually to be a champion is the purpose. And the passion is to be a champion, and the purpose is to be a champion, and together they find an elite status. We also talked about the fact that when you have a passion and a purpose, like for example, to be a number one draft pick in your sport, and sometimes you get there, and so your passion is to finish school and be a number one draft pick because your purpose is the money that comes with it, so your passion for the sport is to get that purpose. And we see a lot of number one draft picks, it doesn't matter the sport. And a lot of number one draft picks get there and they realize, wow, the game is much faster here. Okay, now I've got the money. I don't need the money anymore. And their purpose and their passion starts to fade and they blow out. And so when you push to be elite in anything in life, you have to have passion and purpose. And today we're going to bring it home with the idea of pushing to be elite. Because if you have the passion and you have the purpose, you need to have a drive, you need to have a push. And for us here at LifeHouse, and for Emily and I in our ministry, which includes LifeHouse, it's our number one, number one A, number one B ministry, it is in that vein. So we can lay all our cards on the table today. When we want to push to be elite, it is for apologetics, which is defending the faith, which is defending the scriptures. It's evangelism, which is reaching out to people with the grace and the, and the mercy of Jesus Christ over their life that affects them for eternity. And then it's building up the children of God. That's what we want to be about. And you know what? We're children of God, so we need to be built up too. I have a pastor. He lives in Michigan. 
He's a great guy. I have Jay Johnson, who's a brother in arms. I have Bishop Ron. I have these people that I can go to. And you guys have me. I feel bad for you. (laughs) Some days, I really do. But I'm going to give you everything I got. Because my passion and my purpose is being laid out in front of you, and together we're going to push for it. And you're going to see me pushing. And I want you to come alongside me, especially you covenant partners and those who are going to be covenant partners very soon. You know who you are. See, here's the reality. The reality is, is if we compare Christians to each other, we are wrong. Okay? Christians, once they're saved, they're saved. And you're as close to Jesus as you're ever going to be. Then it's a matter of growing in the Lord. And we sometimes use the Christian phrase, let's draw closer to the Lord for such a time as this. What we mean is that we want to grow stronger with the Lord while he holds us in his grip because we'll never get more closer than we already are. So we never compare Christians to each other because it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. It literally doesn't matter. Once you are saved and you are in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, you're there and we're all the same. We're all children of God. Now having said that, Understand what a child of God is. It is a growing organism. It is something that, you know, like any other organism, it can have growth that gets stunted. It can, it can get injured. It, it, it can find itself with even diseases that are not, you know, self-inflicted. But many times Christians find themselves with self-inflicted problems. See, that growing organism needs to be nurtured. Last night we had quite a storm blow through Kansas, didn't we? First thing Emily did when she got up, she said, I wonder if some of my plants made it. And I tried really hard to care. <laughs> I really did. I mean, I, 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 was, I was just hoping that that hosta, whatever it was, made it through the night. <laughs> Point is, is some of those plants probably got injured. Some of them need some, some extra help now today because of the storm that blew through their life last night. And that's what we want to talk about today with this message is when we're pushing together to be elite. And why? Because it's apologetics, it's evangelism, and it's building up the children of God. That's the dealio. You ready? All right. Now, before we get into some of this, I want you to know, I want this disclaimer, everybody get this in your heads, is that I don't believe that man's strategy should ever trump God's sovereignty. And I also believe that culture always trumps a strategy of man. But I'm going to talk about a few of man's strategies leading into today's message. So I want you to understand that there can be some wisdom that comes from man's strategies that help people. And we can look at that and see if there's any parallels to our pushing to be elite with our passion and our purpose. Does that make sense? Because I don't want any confusion when we get to the end of this here in the next five minutes. I'm not saying that this is the way to grow in Christianity. I'm using it as an example because I think it might help us. How many people here have ever heard of the term Six Sigma? A lot of you. All right. Well, let me just share with you what Six Sigma is. It is a method that is used by manufacturing companies at first, but even marketing companies, even media companies use this. Emily and I had to go through Six Sigma when we were 
you know, doing a radio show at one point because they wanted to try to enhance the outputs of what they were doing. Here's what Six Sigma is according to them. Six Sigma is a method that provides organizations tools to improve the capacity of their business processes. This increase in performance and decrease in process variation helps lead to defect reduction and improvement in profits, employee morale, and quality of products and services. Okay? Well, that sounds pretty good. So where does it come from? Well, the name Six Sigma is derived from a bell curve a bell curve that is used in statistics where one sigma represents one standard deviation away from the mean. Here you can see on this thing where the mean is. And there's, whenever you deviate to the right or to the left, you don't get as strong a pr production. You don't get as, the quality control isn't the same. Defects will uh, be increased. But if you can keep that mean right there through the process of Six Sigma, the defect rate is said to be extremely low. And it is something where people have used this process to enhance their business model and output. Does that make sense? So here's what it comes to. Here's what it really boils down to when you back it out. It comes down to that your inputs affect your output. And they use a funnel as an example. What does this mean? This means that if we want to produce a widget of some sort, let's just say this coffee cup, we look at the output that we want. We want this tan coating. We want these words written on there. We want a lid that seals really nice and tight, but not too tight. We want to be able to pop it off. We want the stainless steel inside to, to, you know, to be legitimate. We want it stamped with all the things on the bottom. We want it packaged in a nice box, and we want to be able to ship them in units of 12 around the world. So that's the output that we want. So now we will go back through all of the inputs that have to go into it. Did we hire the right paint manufacturer? Did we get the right plastic molding? Do we have the right stainless steel in stock? Is the cardboard going to be there at the end of the assembly line when these things come off? Do you follow? The inputs that you put there affect the output. And if you want to have an output, you have to address the inputs first. And this processes help many companies, many manufacturers, and many organizations become much more fluid in their success. Does that make sense? See, in the Christian world, as we take the, the concept of Six Sigma and we put it into our world to push to be elite, the one thing that you have to remember is that your inputs will affect your output. It's that simple. What's going in your mind? What's going in your body? What is going into your relationships? What is going into building your excitement? What are you putting your money into? Your output, you want to be an elite servant of Jesus Christ, or even a very good servant of Christ, or even a good servant of Christ. You can't put a whole bunch of garbage in your spiritual funnel and expect that to be your output. The Bible's pretty clear about that. What do you do for music? What do you do for TV? And I, and, and, and I never thought I would be able to say this, but I'm going to say it. What about news? 
News, that's a big one right now. I refuse to watch CNN based on this principle, based on what I've seen in other news outlets as well. Our news journalism is gone. True journalism is dead in 95% of newsrooms across the country. Look, the phrase, the phrase I use is this. I don't watch CNN for the same reason I don't drink out of the toilet. Okay? It's now bad propaganda. It's a bad input. It's everywhere, it seems, if you follow the headlines. And, you know, I do need to, as a good shepherd of this flock, I need to be aware of what's going on in the world, and I have got to be strategic with how I consume the news. And so I've got to look very intentionally where I glean the most basic headlines because most of the news right now is rotten to the core. And in many cases, it's flat-out lies, and it's a waste of my time, and it's a waste of yours. And that's a fact. Inputs affect your outputs. Oh, come on, Chris. This isn't so bad over here. This isn't so bad over there. No. What kind of output do you really want? What kind of garbage do you look at? Look, I know we're in rural Kansas, but if you get to the cities... Any city, go to anyone, Kansas City, Wichita, Chicago, Denver, watch the billboards that are out there and tell me that we don't have now a pornification of our culture at a deep level, and that's hurting people's inputs. And is it affecting their outputs? You better believe it, which means we need to be even more intentional in what we're doing because what you put into your world, what you put into your sphere, your daily coming and going directly affects your output. The you that is living and breathing and serving in Christ. Yes? So I want to show you the last funnel from Six Sigma. And they call it uh, DMAIC. And I think they pronounce it like DMAIC or something like that. I don't even remember. I should because I did videos on this back in the day. But when you look at it, it says define, measure, analyze, improve, and then control. And and. That is how the funnel works in most manufacturing and other uses of this. But I want to take you from the top to the bottom. Define, let me tell you what defines us. Scripture defines us. We don't define what Christianity is supposed to be. Your truth doesn't have to be my truth. Shut up. This is the truth right here. Stop with the nonsense. Stop trying to define what our Heavenly Father has created for us, which is a servant of Jesus Christ. Matthew 7, 21 through following lays it out. Many on that day are going to cry out, Lord, Lord, didn't I, didn't I define what Christianity was supposed to be for me? And he's going to say, step off. I don't know who you are. Whew. Man, I wish somebody would have told me the truth when I was here on earth. Such is my purpose. Measure. Let God do the measuring. Analyze. We can analyze, but through the lens of Scripture. That's why it's our authority. You follow? Improve. We improve with God guiding us and empowering us. I don't even think I got the ability to improve myself without his help, which is why daily and going with repentance, I seek the Lord's face. And control, we let go of control, and we live by faith. That's the deal. I want to give you another example. There's a thing called ISO 9000. Anybody ever heard of ISO 9000? There's 9001, 9004. 
ISO 9000 is defined as a set of international standards on quality management and quality assurance developed to help companies effectively document quality system elements needed to maintain efficient quality systems. Did you catch that? It's a standard of assurance. It's, it's quality measures. It costs money to be ISO 9000 certified, but what does that get you? If you're ISO 9000 certified, you are now embedded as a quality management system in an organization. Think about this in the world of like moving refrigerated goods internationally. You now have a system of control to know that those goods are going to show up because these people are ISO certified. What about tool and die? Think about tool and die now. You, you're you're going to build a multi-billion dollar space satellite. Wouldn't you like to know that some of the tool and die was certified correct and, and had standard qualities all the way through? I, back in the day, I, I did uh, training videos. I know you're like, <laughs> you don't look like it. <laughs> I haven't aged well, <laughs> I'll put it that way. But do you guys know what JIT is, just-in-time delivery? Oh, these people, they get so caught up in this. This is their world, you know. And I'd be the guy who'd walk out from behind the, the, the semi-truck. When you transport goods, make sure that you are ISO 9000 certified. It makes a difference. Or be walking through the warehouse, camera turn, dramatic look, ISO 9000, just-in-time delivery for you. <laughs> you know, honestly, I never thought I'd be able to revive that character, but yet here we are. <laughs> so the reality is, is that if man can embed a quality management system within an organization to increase productivity, reduce unnecessary costs, and ensure quality in processes and products... Can't we as Christians look at God and say, God, through your grace, through your mercy, through my surrendered life, I want to be a better servant for you? What does that mean? How do I do that? Well, the quality control you put inside your life right now has to be, you ready? Your inputs. Your inputs. That's where the rubber meets the road. And then we're going to go through three pushing things with some scripture here. And we're going to start with the back half of our Romans uh, chapter 16, four verses, and then get to the front half in a minute. But as you go forward, as we look at the different three things of pushing that I lay out for you today, understand it comes back to your inputs. It does, and it's not the world standard, it's God's standard. And here's the other thing I want you to know. Don't forget this, don't lose this. It's actually easier. The burden is light, the yoke is easy when you serve Christ, when you finally surrender. But when you stand up and, ah, there's nothing wrong with this, there's nothing wrong with that, you're, you're basing it on the world standards. God's standard is he wants a surrendered life and those who know him, who love him, who are his to live by faith. So let's start with the three things I've got for you today. Number one is pushing in. Pushing in. You know, iron sharpens iron. We push in. The covenant partnership here, we're, we're, we're circling the wagons. It's us. This is who we are. And as covenant partners, we make a pledge to each other that we're going to be about each other for the kingdom, for Jesus Christ and his glory. We go all in. We're intentional. We're pushing in. We push for the good things God has provided for us. We love our family more. We push for more contentment. Contentment is an inside thing. Inward, you follow? 
Mission Andrew, bringing people to church, witnessing and testifying of your faith in Jesus. Let's go to Romans 16, 19, and 20. It says, The report of your obedience has reached everyone. Therefore, I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and yet innocent about what is evil. Verse 20, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. In verse 19, I want you to notice it says, Your obedience has reached everyone. But I want you to be wise about what is good and yet innocent about what is evil. And in our culture, we have flipped a lot of it up. What's good is to not say anything and never offend anybody because your emotions means I have to temper my opinion. Just because you can't control your emotions, you're offended about anything, I got to shut her down. No. What's good is to speak the truth in love and to stand firm. That's what's good. And be innocent about what is evil. Know the pendulum. Know the pendulum of truth and love. Remember the pendulum, folks. If you have all love and no truth, you're wrong. If you have all truth and you're just pounding on people without mercy and without grace, you're wrong. You have to have a balance of truth and love. That's why we have grace for those, but we still speak the truth in love. And that's a whole other teaching about are you actually speaking the truth in love or are you just trying to get your pound of flesh? When we were on the radio all those years, we used to get a lot of fan mail, but you know what else we used to get consistently? was hate mail. And many times the hate mail would start out, Chris, I just want to speak to you the truth in the love of Jesus Christ. You're horrible. You suck. You sucky suck, suck, suck. You're just awful. You're one of the most awful people I've ever seen. How can you dare? It's like, what? Number two, pushing up. We're pushing up. That means a vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. But it also means it's a higher standard. And you don't use a word like suck from the pulpit maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but if that's the hill I'm going to die on, I guess, whatever. If, that, if that's where we're going to say, hey, this is what he said. Can't, can't believe in him anymore. It probably ain't going to work out with us, Okay. But it's a higher standard, and I want to go to that higher standard. And I want to go to that higher standard by just leveling with people and meeting them where they're at. And I want you to do the same if you know Jesus. There's a consistency in our life that breeds peace. Steady Eddie, you ever hear that phrase? Just travel on, Steady Eddie, or is that a northern thing? You guys never heard of Steady Eddie? Okay, good. Be steady, Eddie, in the Lord. Be consistent. And we could be pushing up for that higher standard, creating better inputs, and the outputs will just be a natural byproduct. And the real pushing up is in the vertical relationship. Why? Because he gives us the consistency generously when we're surrendered to him. Ask, seek, knock, says the scriptures, and I will reveal myself to you. Sometimes in our arrogance and our stubbornness, we get out there, well, God... I need you to show up right now. I need you to tell me what's what because I demand it. I don't think that's the way God rolls. Humbly we ask. Humbly we seek. Humbly he gives us generously what we ask for as we're pushing up. 
Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verses 7 through 10. In Romans 8, 7 through 10, it says this. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Bada bing, bada boom. There it is. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Verse 10. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Go back to verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Does that make sense? We are listening in this country to people who claim Christ. I'm not talking about the lost world. I'm talking about the visible church. I'm talking about the Christian industry. We are listening to people who are claiming Christ, trying to influence people into how they should live their life for Christ, and there would be a lot of discernment in looking at them saying they probably don't have Christ. And how can you say that? Isn't that judgmental? God says judge rightly. Lay it down next to the Scripture. If anyone, including me, ever says something that's totally contrary to the Scripture, reject it. It's pretty simple. We have so many weak Christians who may or may not have the Spirit of God trying to make other people weak like them by claiming that it's strong in Christ. And I'm telling you, no. You want to go to be elite, you push up past some of those people. You get into God's Word yourself, and it says right here, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, doesn't belong to him. Lord, Lord, didn't we do all this stuff? Don't know you. Ain't nothing more horrible than that. It's the most horrible thing in the world is to hear from the King of Kings, step off, I don't know who you are. Let the world call you whatever they want to call you. Let people say whatever they want. You stay rock solid on the word of God and you're not moved because you know what you know because you're in the spirit and you see the flesh and you know that you are Christ. And then the Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. Number three, pushing out. Number three, we're pushing out. We're pushing in, we're pushing up and now we're pushing out. <clears throat> there are two things that I want you to know about on the pushing out. One is we're pushing outside of our comfort zones. We're being willing to do things that Jesus would be calling me to. And I don't know what that is for you. I would say many of you, most of you are called to be for Jesus right here in this community. But many of you, some of you might be called outside of this community. Some of you guys might be called outside this country. And when that happens, the people of Jesus Christ rally around you, whether you're here down the street or whether you're across the globe, and we say, you're our people. And together, we're pushing out. We're reaching out. We're being out there. We're doing so without worry and without fear of what someone else will think. How much energy and time is wasted in worrying about what other people are going to think? 
If we're all standing in front of Jesus in the next 15 minutes by whatever happens, do you really care what so-and-so down the block who doesn't even walk with the Lord thinks of you? Why would you give him or her another five seconds of your time? The only way you give them your time when you're pushing to be elite, when you're really pushing to be elite and you're pushing in, you're pushing up and you're pushing out, is when you're praying for their salvation. When you're praying for them to know what you know because you have this peace that passes all understanding. Another is actually pushing things and even people out of your life. When it comes to things, it's obvious that there are items that are contraband to our serving Jesus, and you need to push those things out of your life. Things and people sometimes need to go. They just need to go. I'm fighting some idols in my life right now that I've identified. I'll share with them with you as we go forward towards summer. And I cannot beat them in my own strength. But I know they're there. And I know I'm fighting back. And I cannot win in my own power. I have to push some of these ideas out of my head. And I don't want to get caught up on what mine are. I want you to focus on what you need to get out of your life. And it's obvious some things are just contraband to the way of serving Jesus. It's, it's, it's obvious. Even if the world says that this is mandatory for happiness for every single person and you know it goes against Scripture, you've got to push it out of your life. Right now, a survey was done. And I don't remember if I said this last week or on the podcast or where, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but there was a huge survey done that said, which one of these two things is more morally you know, repulsive to you? Looking at porn or not recycling? And the overwhelming majority, something like 69%, 68%, said not recycling is much more morally reprehensible than looking at porn. That's the world in which Jesus Christ has called you to be salt and light. This message is for those who want to push for elite. And if you don't know Jesus, we can help you with that. We can introduce him to you. But some of those things need to be pushed out of your life. And then, and this one, do not misquote me on this, please. Hear me. And yes, sometimes I will use slang words to get your attention to keep, keep you with me, and I do that intentionally without reservation, without apology. But I want you to hear this. Sometimes you've got to push people out of your life. Oh, we love, we love in Jesus' love. We just want them all. Jesus didn't do that. When Jesus had some hard teachings and people said, this is a hard teaching, we're going to go, Jesus said, bye. Now, listen, and don't misquote me. When it comes to people, always remember, always remember, blessed be the peacemakers. Blessed be the peacemakers. Whenever possible, live at peace with all. Whenever possible. But the Bible also allows for saying good night, Irene, to many. And sometimes it needs to come to that. Look, try, 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 try. Did I mention try? to find peace with someone, but in the end, 
There are biblical times where the right thing to do is to push someone out and be glad they're gone. Let's go to Romans 16, 17 and 18, the first two verses of our text today. It says, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you learned. Avoid them. Because such people do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. We can get so caught up in what we want out of life that we steamroll ahead in lieu of what the Bible says or in lieu of what people around us say. That's in the natural. In the spiritual, in, in, in our serving Christ, we can get so caught up with what we think God wants us to do that we can steamroll past a lot of other things as well. And we have to check our motives at the door. But you've got to do that with everybody around you too. Check their motives. What are their motives? If they are teaching division, any kind of division must be met with force. And what I mean by force, I mean conferences, talk, discussions. You have to forcefully stand your ground. You cannot allow division to come in where God is growing his children. I didn't create that. That's what God has in his word if you really look at it, which is why we have to always with love, reach out. Blessed be the peacemakers. Come, we're going to gather together. We're going to talk. And then, oh, I'm talking to you, and we're still at odds. Let me get a couple more people together, and we're still at odds. Well, then somebody's got to go. Avoid them. Let's go to Matthew 18, 15 through 18. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you have won a brother. Verse 16, but if he won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. <clears throat> Here we go, verse 17. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. What does that mean? That means avoid him, push him out or her out. You can substitute him and her here. You follow? Always. But at the end of the day, we cannot allow division to get in. You know, we, we sometimes leave our back door open with, with our screened-in porch there going in and out. You think we'd want to leave for a week like that? Snakes get in the house, stuff like that? No, you shut your door, right? It's the same thing. Spiritually, we push in. We push up and we push out. And the big question is why? Why push to be elite? I said the sinner's prayer. I've been baptized. Ain't that good enough? I'm not here to debate that. I'm not here to debate how skinny you can be to get into heaven on the skin of your teeth. I really don't care. I want to be an elite servant of Jesus Christ out of the incredible mercy that he gave me. Why? How do I add up my passion, my purpose, and the pushing that I want to do for being elite? And why do you think that there has to be some sort of effort? Well, let's go to Deuteronomy 121. This is the why. 
Jesus says, see, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be glad that the scriptures give us something like this. We have to go take the land. It'd be great if we came to know Jesus and scripture was just poof in our brains, but it's not. But with divine help, with divine strength, we have a huge advantage. And it comes through surrendering our lives and at the forefront of our minds, having peacemaker, mercy, and grace for others. But when it's not happening, we know we have to do something else. And what if I told you that there was a song that summed it up in the most straightforward way? See, I don't want to be a great Christian for anything that has to do with ministry. I don't want to be an elite servant of Jesus Christ that has anything to do with this world. It's because I know who I am. And I joke around that you guys got it, got it bad when you got me as your pastor because I'm just not that great of a dude. I know who I am. I compare myself to what I know, to what I don't know about other people, and I always come up on the short end of the stick. But I know one thing. I was changed when mercy found me. I didn't go seek it. Mercy found me. There's a type of song out there that I love to sing just loud when I'm in the car. Like bad karaoke loud. And it's by a band called Rhett Walker Band. And when Rhett was first coming up with his band, he was on the Chris and Emily show. And I, and I coined the phrase that he sounds like a cross between Molly Hatchett and Bob Seger for the Lord. And let me just read you the lyrics of the song, When Mercy Found Me, as we bring it home today. It says, I can't count the broken roads I've been down, but all I know is something had to give. Something had to give. Because living my life so wild and free, finally caught up, it left me broken. It left me hopeless. But that's where I met Jesus. And in one moment, everything changed. Who I was got washed away when mercy found me. And I felt love for the very first time. My Savior's arms are open wide, and I felt love for the very first time when mercy found me. All those days, all those doubts, they don't seem to matter now. His grace is all I need. And the chains that I was in before, well, they don't hold me anymore. His love has rescued me. His love has set me free. And then he goes back to the chorus. In one moment, everything changed. Who I was got washed away when mercy found me. Amen? Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our Sunday message. To donate, request prayer, or to contact Pastor Chris, you can write to Lifehouse Church at P.O. Box 661, Abilene, Kansas, 67410, or go online at lifehouse-church.com. On behalf of the entire congregation, thanks again for your support.